Welcome to Trinity. Uh, I'm Miguel Lopez. I am the, uh, what am I again? I am the pastor of student and worship ministries. And um, if you were coming here today or visiting today and you wanted to hear Marcus, our lead pastor, well, you get me instead, all right? So uh, if you're visiting, we're glad you're here today. Uh, actually, uh, a week ago or so, I was inviting a friend of mine to come to church and I said, hey, I'm preaching at the end of the month. And he said, thanks for the warning. <laughs> so... Um, in case you don't know this, the definition of a good sermon is a great beginning and a great end, preferably close together. All right. So uh, I've got six pages of notes here. You better start praying. Uh, today's message is called Purple Church. We've been going through a series on Ephesians, and today's the fourth installment. And so uh, my section is going to be uh, from chapter two uh, in Ephesians, verses 11 through 22. And uh, uh I encourage you to go and hear uh, the sermons that Marcus has preached leading up to today's because it helps it all fit together. But uh, it's called Purple Church, and you might wonder why. Why would we call it Purple Church? Well, think about the color purple, where it comes from. It comes when you mix the colors red and blue, right? You take two primary colors who look nothing alike, and then you mix them together, and you come up with a brand new color. It's a beautiful color, but it's totally different. Well, that is the story of what we're covering today is how God took the Jews and the Gentiles and how he miraculously put them together and made one church. So today's message, Purple Church, our three points are going to be boundary, demolition, and household. Okay, so that's where we're going. Purple Church and our three points are boundary, demolition, and household. Hey, let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God. Uh, you really, really are holy. And you really, really are worthy of praise. Um, God, I thank you for that moment I wasn't expecting a little while ago. And it really was nice to hear. And it was also nice just to be able to participate uh, in this local body, Lord, where we can just honestly come and worship our almighty God. Lord, we're going to be talking about your church today, Lord. And so I pray that you'd be the one speaking, that you would speak through your word, and that something powerful would happen today in the heart of every person in this room. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful and you're an awesome God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so our first point today is boundary. Now, this part of Paul's letter, because he's the one that wrote Ephesians, uh, is directed to the Gentiles. And if you're unfamiliar with that word, Gentiles are just non-Jews. So it's those people who have not directly descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they were excluded from the nation of Israel, and they were not God's chosen people. So unless you have Jewish blood in you, you are a Gentile. So we're going to start, like I said, with, with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. So I want you to see this verse. The very first word is, therefore. Okay? Now, I know you're wondering, why did he only put one verse up there on the screen? Because in Scripture, in the Word of God, when you see the word therefore, you got to look ahead of it and find out what it's there for. All right? So we actually have to go back and cover a few verses from last week that Mark has covered. And that's my second plug. And I'm not just saying that because I want a Christmas bonus, okay? I'm saying it because he's really got good stuff and it really does help the whole book tie together. But anyway, uh, last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 lead into this verse. So let's look at that. It says there, beginning in verse 8, For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you only take a casual view at these verses, uh, this is what you'll see. Verse 8, you see it says that we are saved through faith. The idea is faith alone in Christ alone. And then that idea is emphasized still in verse 8 where it says it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And in case you missed it, in verse 9, it says not a result of works. So God clearly is trying to get a message to us that if we're going to be saved, we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And our salvation is completely apart from our works. When God offers us eternal life with him, he offers it as a free gift. You accept it or not, but you cannot earn it. It's a free gift. And then in verse 10, it talks about how God made a masterpiece out of every believer. Uh, He actually saves us for a reason. And that's where he clarifies there in verse 10. He says we're created for good works. So the way it's all ties together is this. Is first step is this. God wants to save us as a free gift. He wants to give us eternal life when we come to faith in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. And because he offers it as a free gift, nobody can brag once they receive Christ. If we have eternal life, we have nothing to boast in except what Christ has done. But then after that moment, the moment that God gets a hold of you and you belong to him and you truly become a believer or a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. From that moment on, you offer your works to God, not to earn your way to salvation, but in gratitude to thank him. Okay, now keep all that in mind because that leads to verse 11, which says this. Therefore, you get it? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. We're going to stop for a second, kind of halfway through the thought. But I want to kind of explain what he's talking about here, okay? Based on what we just talked about, about how we're saved by grace and how now we offer our works to God uh, in thanks. Now he says this. He says, therefore, in verse 11, remember that at one time. So he's writing chiefly to Gentiles, those who were apart from the Jewish nation. And he's telling them, remember at one time. Remember where you've been. Compare it to where you are. There's a clue here. He's talking about something that was not good, that since then God has changed in behalf of the Gentiles. Okay, So I'm I'm kind of laboring on this point because if you lose me here or if I lose you here, you're going to be lost the rest of the message. Okay, So the idea is that something, there's something God did on behalf of Gentiles in order that we could know God. Okay, And here Paul is writing, remember how it was. Because God has changed it, and he's changed it for our sake. He says, at that time, you were called the uncircumcision by the Jews. So the Jews would only look at the Gentiles' outward appearance, and they considered the Gentiles unclean. Okay. He continues this thought in verse 12. He says, 
Remember, again, he says that again. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So verse 12 again, he says that word, remember. And then he tells these Gentiles chiefly, he's telling them this, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no claim on the blessings of Israel. God had given Israel a path in order to become connected to him and have access to God. And the Gentiles did not have that path. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, while he was here and while uh, he did his ministry for three years, um, he focused on Jewish people. And I don't know if you realize that, so I just want to show you one example. There's a few times when a Gentile or non-Jew would approach Jesus. And this is one of those times. I want you to see the story. This is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman. So this is a Gentile lady. She's non-Jewish. You follow me on that? A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, you know how Jesus was. He would always answer people's requests. Well, in this case, he remained silent, basically ignores this lady. And a few verses later, he finally answers her. And look at the answer he gives her in verse 24 of Matthew 15. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This lady, because she was persistent and because she demonstrated faith, As their conversation went along, Jesus eventually does answer her prayer and heal her child. But he makes it clear that his purpose while he was here on earth was chiefly for the nation of Israel, for the Jews first. Okay, And I'm hammering this point because unless you understand how it was, you can't see how good it is what God has done, how he's changed things. All right? So... Any Gentile back in those days who became interested in God uh, was required to become, the word is proselyte. Uh, But the idea is this, is that if a Gentile wanted to approach God, he had to take on the Jewish law. He had to be circumcised and uh, he had to bring the sacrifices and, and basically act as the Jews acted. But there was only uh, so close a Gentile could come. Um, to worship God, okay? And we'll explain more about that as we go. But the main idea is this, is that the Gentiles were distant from God and the only chance they had was to take on the Jewish faith and the Jewish laws. So we go on in Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. Let that sink in, y'all. Because this is the way it was. Having no hope without God. The Gentiles did have their little fake gods, right? They had their little man-made gods made of wood and clay and stone. uh, Made by human hands. But think about how awful it would be to be without God and without hope. Before we move further... I want to get that question in your head, and I want you to ask yourself this. Can you remember being in a Christless 
condition. Can you remember how it was before you came to faith in Christ? To me, I remember I had an uncertainty about eternity. I would worry about it sometimes. Like, can I make it? Am I good enough to make it to God? And on good days, I felt pretty good. Like, oh, God's impressed with me. But there was a lot of days where I felt like I don't have a chance. And there was that uncertainty. Uh, I remember relying on myself, relying on luck or superstition. Basically, I was relying on false beliefs. Do you remember what it feels like to be separated and distant from God? In the case of the Gentiles, they had a double dilemma. So I want you to see this next picture. Okay, The first part of the problem was this. And this part is common to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, is that sin, because we all sin, because we all do things and say things that offend God. Uh, we actually create a canyon that separates us from God. And that's true of all people, Jews and Gentiles. Okay, But I mentioned there was a double dilemma for the Gentiles, and this is why. There was also, uh, next slide please, there's also a wall that divided the Jews from the Gentiles. Remember a little while ago I was saying, if a Gentile wanted to approach God, he couldn't just talk to God. Okay, That's changed, hasn't it? That's a clue, by the way. But back then, a Gentile had no choice but to take on the Jewish faith, become what was called a proselyte, and take on the Jewish laws. Well, here was the problem. When I say there was a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews. Neither of them wanted anything to do with each other. And so it was rare. It would happen on occasion, but it was rare percentage-wise that a Gentile would actually come and take on the Jewish faith and have any kind of access to God at all. All right. Now I want to talk about Sugar Ray Leonard. So um, years ago, Sugar Ray Leonard, he was a boxer, and he boxed from uh, 1977 to 1997. For about 20 years, he actually won titles in five different weight classes. When he was the world welterweight champion, he was set up to have a rematch fight against Roberto Duran. And he was actually going to fight in New Orleans. Some of y'all might remember that, okay? So uh, he was in the area, and it was rumored at LSU when I was a student there that Roberto, not Roberto, um, that, uh, help help me, read it, Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was going to come and visit the campus, okay? Well, here I was, on the parade ground, because basically I usually wasn't in class. But there I was on the parade ground, and in the distance, I see Sugar Ray Leonard. Now, let me tell you, he was easy to spot because there was a little crowd of about 30 college students, and they were all walking along with him on the sidewalk in front of the union at LSU. And so I wanted to meet him, so I had my pen and paper. I actually carried some of that back then. And so I went running up to the crowd and, and easily uh, worked my way through the crowd and got basically as close to him as this podium, held up my pen and paper, and I asked him nicely too, by the way, I said, Mr. Leonard, can I have your autograph? Well, guess what? I only got halfway through that question before I found out that I did not have access to Sugar Ray Leonard. 
Okay, and let me explain why. What I didn't notice was he was also walking along with four men wearing sunglasses and dark black suits. Okay, some people call them bodyguards. I think they weren't that good because they let him get so close to me, to him, I'm sorry, before, you know, they let me know I didn't have access. I want you to know it took two of them to push me away. <laughs> and I think they were scared. Okay, I think they probably thought, hey, this guy might be related to Roberto Duran, right? <laughs> Especially when I said, no mas. <laughs> okay. All right, y'all. Uh, The Gentiles had a double dilemma. Number one, there was a Grand Canyon that's common to us all, Jews and Gentiles. And that's because of sin. They were separated from God. But the second part of that dilemma is that there was also a wall that divided them from the Jews. God had provided a pathway for people to reach God. And so the Jews knew of that pathway. But because of the the enmity between Uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, that basically hardly ever did a Gentile come to faith. And so they were without hope and they didn't have access to God, which means that the only way Gentiles could be reached in large numbers, God would have to do something extraordinary, which brings us to our second point, okay? Demolition. Part of the work God has done to build his church And by the way, in a second, I'm going to explain why we're calling it Purple Church. But uh, part of the reason that God, uh, part of the work God has done to build his church is that he has torn down the boundary. He has torn down that wall of division between Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so let's see how we did it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to read that again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Last week when Marcus preached, uh, he mentioned that in verse 4 of chapter 2, uh, there's a phrase. It says, but God. And so uh, he pointed out that, that, that leading up to that verse, it was talking about how men uh, were just in bad shape. And then you had two words, but God, and then God did something on man's behalf. Well, it's the same idea here, y'all. In verse 13, uh, the Gentiles were in bad shape, right? They had that double dilemma, but now good news is coming. And he tells you in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood. We owe our thanks to Jesus Christ, y'all. And we talk about the cross and resurrection all the time. And you can kindly, you kind of get immune to it sometimes because you hear it so often. But I encourage you and I encourage the young people when I speak to the young people, stop and ponder this thought that Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross, he took every sin that you have ever committed. Sit around one day and make a list if you can remember them all. Okay. Every sin you've ever committed. And every sin you're ever going to commit that all came upon his body at one time. He paid for the problem that was creating that Grand Canyon. Okay, He took our sins upon his body. And because he was God, he was able to rise again from the dead. The reason you and I have access to Almighty God is because Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. We need to thank him every day for what he's done for us. 
So there was a separation. But you know what? Now we have access. The book of Hebrews tells us this in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You and I have access to Almighty God and we don't have to go through any religion. We don't have to go through the Jewish channels, y'all. In fact, the Jews don't have to do that anymore either, okay? Because of Christ's work, we can all come and have access to the throne of God directly through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's more. Uh, not only did God destroy the canyon, um, but he also demolished the wall. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, verse 14, he mentions, he himself is our peace. We sang a song a little while ago, you know, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, you know what? He's also our peace. Jesus is a lot of things. He is awesome. When it says he is our peace, here's the idea. Number one, we have peace with God. Again, we talked about that. He died for our sins, rose from the dead. So he's taken care of that canyon. If we simply come to Christ in faith, we can have a relationship with God. But the other thing he's done is this. He also has brought peace between one another. By, de- by destroying that wall, uh, he brought Jews and Gentiles together into one church, one body, right? Just like red and blue. And the idea, I just want you to have in your mind is, purple church okay he put us together and it's not two separate entities it's one and it looks totally different from anything that existed beforehand Uh, i want you to see this next slide here um this is a, a the temple and and i don't know how clearly you can see it but inside the large walls that's where the Jews could come to worship God, okay? And there's a court for the women. They could only get so close, but they could get inside those large walls. And then the men, and there was just different places where they could go. And then the priest could go further in. And then the high priest could go, uh, you know, into the uh, uh, the Holy of Holies, okay? You see those two circles on the outside? Uh, that's as close as the Gentiles could come. They could not go behind that little that little dashed wall. And that little dashed wall was only about five feet tall. And the Gentiles, they could come that close, but they could not cross that barrier, right? In fact, um, in 1871, uh, there was excavations being done of the temple, and there was a pillar found. Uh, that actually was part of that dividing wall, and there was an inscription on it. And I want you to see the inscription that was written. It says, it says, no man of another nation, so we're talking about Gentiles, no man of another nation is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple, and whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. There literally was a wall, y'all. Spiritually and emotionally, there was a wall between the Jews and Gentiles. But physically, there was a five-foot-high wall. And the Gentiles could come only so close to hearing about God, they could not cross that barrier on pain of death. Well, how did God demolish the wall? Well, we go on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create on himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. A lot of ideas in there. So let's go back to verse 15. He says, abolishing the law of commandments. Now, mostly, I want you to hold that thought, but just remember this. We all have equal access, Jews and Gentiles alike, okay? God has abolished that law and that set of laws, okay? Also in verse 15, it says that he might create one new man in place of two. And we've been talking about this this whole morning, right? He took the Jews and the Gentiles and he made one, okay? Purple church. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both. He made peace, peace between Jews and Gentiles, y'all. Christ has made peace between us and God, and he's also made peace between each other, like on a, um, on a level playing field, okay? Uh, I want you to see this next slide because it'll help you understand when we talk about abolishing the law of commands. Okay, this is just part of it. This is just a picture of the, of the tabernacle. At the very bottom of the picture, that's as far as the Jews could come, okay? They could come that close to the tabernacle and up until that, that entryway, and they would bring their sacrifices. The only people that could go into the gray area and beyond were the priests. And so Jewish folks would come and bring their sacrifices. And then that very first little box was the altar where the sacrifice was done. And then there was a, uh, the circle is a, a laver where the priests would wash themselves. And look, look, everybody, all of this symbolized and foreshadowed the work that Jesus Christ was going to do. We don't have time to go into it right now, but the idea is this. The whole thing is a picture of what Christ does for you in the order that he does it, in fact, because you come, right? The sacrifice is done at the doorway, so the blood was shed on our behalf, and then there's the washing of the Holy Spirit, and you go on and on, and eventually only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest had access directly to Almighty God. When he says that he abolished the law, what we just read, and abolished the commandments, what he did was Jesus Christ fulfilled it so that he could abolish it. So now you and I can come through Jesus because he is our lamb that's sacrificed, right? He washes us. He is the high priest. He's the whole kit and caboodle. And you and I have access to the almighty God Directly through Jesus Christ, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, we all have access directly to him. Ephesians 2.17 says this, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. It's the same idea, y'all. Came and preached peace. Peace with God. Okay? It says he preached to those who were far off and those who were near. The ones who were far off were the Gentiles. The ones that were near were the Jews. And Jesus preached peace to both, right? Peace with God and peace with one another. He continues that thought in verse 18. It says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hopefully it's all making sense now. It all should be fitting together, okay? We both have access. Jews and Gentiles alike have access to Almighty God through Jesus Christ. This parallels something that the Apostle Paul writes about in the letter to the Galatians. I want you to see this real quick uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, 
You are all sons of God through faith. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. But look what else he says. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all on a level playing field before Christ, y'all. We owe our allegiance to Christ and we have access to dire- uh, directly to God. Jews and Gentiles put together, red and blue, purple church. Okay, it's an awesome thing what God has done. Uh, my daughter, Emily, uh, has been teaching at Woodlawn High School in Baton Rouge. And Woodlawn High, uh, the percentage uh, uh, of ethnicity in the school is it's 40% white, 40% African-American, and 20% Hispanic. Okay, She's teaching Spanish 1 and 2, and they put 40 students in her class. All right? So just picture that, okay? So 40% white, 40% African-American, 20% Hispanic. All right? And we had all kind of conversations because she said one thing was just she would wonder, how am I ever going to get them to cross lines and to have any kind of connection, you know, to one another where we can get through class? Well, the unifying moment happened, but it was totally unexpected how it came about. One day on the loudspeaker, the announcement was anybody who's going to the uh, art museum, um, it's time to leave now. Teachers, release your students who are going to the art museum. Well, <laughs> one of the kids in her class who never participated in anything raised his hand. And he said, Miss Lopez, I'm supposed to go right now. And she starts laughing. And she says, you are not going to the art museum. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm really supposed to go. He says, you are not. And they go back and forth. And she says, I bet you 20 push-ups that you're not supposed to go to the art museum right now. And he says, I'll take that bet. And he reaches in his book bag and finally pulls out a crumpled piece of paper and shows it to her. Sure enough, he had a pass to go to the art museum. And he says, Miss Lopez, I want you to drop and give me 20. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what happened? Her class became unified, right? They all came together around her and they were all counting. One, two, three. And she knocked out her push-ups. I asked Emily later, I said, have you been working out? She goes, Dad, I have never done 20 push-ups in my life. <laughs> but sometimes pride can motivate you, y'all. Um, God put us together. God put us together so that we could all be part of his household, which brings us to our last point, okay? So if you think of God's household, let me ask you this. What do you picture? What do you picture? The way I think, When I think of God's household, I think shelter, safety, family, friends. I think people being invited and welcome, comfortable, relaxed. You can let your hair down if you still have hair. Uh, You can be yourself. You are included if you've trusted the Savior to be part of God's household. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, talking to the Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, You're no longer distant. Um, You're welcomed into the household of Almighty God. Let me clarify something here, y'all, because we have terms like local church, and then we have you know the body of Christ, the, the church at large, like universal church. So let me let me say it like this just so we can apply it here at Trinity. Anybody, anybody, anybody is welcome to come through our doors 
and to, and to visit and be part of our church. But the way you become part of the body of Christ, of God's household, is when you trust the Savior. Okay? So I want to make sure I clarify that. Anybody, anybody, anybody is welcome to come, you know, to my house, you know, to, to our, right, to our church campus. Um, but to become part of the family of God, there's a moment when you decide to trust Christ or not. Okay? So I want to make sure that, that, that that's clear. All right? Next verse, verse 20. Uh, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, so the purple church is made of people. The purple church is made of souls, right? Jesus Christ himself is the foundation and believers are the bricks. Okay, next slide. How should these truths affect me? I have three thoughts for you, and then I'm going to close. Number one, remember the boundary has been demolished. Number two, by trusting Christ, you can become part of his household. And number three, believers have the privilege and responsibility to invite others to God's purple church. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you that the boundary, that wall has been demolished. Lord, we have access to Almighty God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Lord, I pray you would give everyone in this room a full understanding of what that means, what Christ has done for each of us, to offer us eternal life for free, Lord, to offer us a relationship with Almighty God for free. We cannot earn it. And Lord, for those of us who have a relationship with you, I pray you would inspire us, God, to walk with you and to share you with others. Lord, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.